This podcast is brought to you by eHarmony, the dating app to find someone you can be yourself with. Why doesn't eHarmony allow copy and paste in first messages? Because you are unique and your conversations should reflect that. eHarmony wants you to find someone who will get you. How are you going to know who gets you? If people send you the same generic conversation starters, they message everyone else. Conversations that actually help you get to know each other. Imagine that. Get who gets you on eHarmony. Sign up today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, it's Manveen here. For today's episode, I'm handing over to my colleague, Will Rowe, one of the team of talented producers at Stories of Our Times. With the TT, it's such a unique race where you don't actually have a warm-up lap. <laughs> so I literally drive to the paddock at 7 o'clock in the morning. I sign a load of autographs. I finally get changed and get into my leathers. You start in 10-second intervals. That year, I think I started number six, I think it was. That's the voice of 50-year-old Richard Milky Quayle, a former motorbike racer and Isle of Man local. He's talking me through what would be his final TT race at the event back in 2003, which ended with a terrible crash. There's millions and millions of things going through your brain. You're trying to stay cool and calm, but you, you, your head's in a bit, of a bit of a mess, really. So you get off the start line, try and settle into the race as quick as possible, that year, the bike was geared for 198 miles an hour. So it shows you how fast you go when you go on 198 miles an hour on public highway that's only 12 foot wide, I suppose. Bumps, manhole covers, telegraph poles, curb stones, stone walls either side. I never looked at the, the obstacles around the circuit because they're irrelevant. You don't want to hit them, so you don't look at them. I literally just see the, the asphalt and that's it. I just want to literally use as much track as possible so I go from one side of the road to the other and that's all I'm looking at. I was fifth or sixth position, I was happy with it I, and pretty much I came over the start and finish line and I always waved to my pit crew and my, my wife or girlfriend. It was always like a bit of a ritual I had, I always waved to them as I went over the start and finish line just to say, yeah, I'm here, I'm okay, thanks. That's my last recollection before my crash, really, was the fact that I remember waving to my pit crew. And then I remember waking up then about 10 days later in hospital with my wife's face above me. And I'm thinking, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, I've made a mistake here. This isn't good. And that's, it's, it's really, really weird. Like, that's, 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 that's it. That's all I can remember of it. So you can't actually re remember the moment you crashed then? I, I think it's nature's way of blanking issues out. I've had lots of crashes in my life. I've probably crashed 50, 60 times in my career, but I've had two life-threatening crashes. One was in a short circuit in Wales called Pembrey, and I had a bleed on the brain there, and I can't remember crashing there either. And like I say, the, the crash at the TT in 2003, I, I can't remember it. Every year, the Isle of Man welcomes tens of thousands of motorbike fans to celebrate a two-week festival of racing. 
The 2023 event begins this week, but for all the excitement and high-octane energy, there is often tragedy just around the corner. Wrenching for everyone, the team are pacing up and down. You can see the team bosses head down, not knowing what's going on. The statistics for crashes and fatalities at the race make for a sobering read. From 1911 until today, 266 riders have died on the course. And since the Second World War, apart from the standalone year of 1982, there's been at least one loss of life every summer. Despite all this, there doesn't seem to be any real movement for the race to be stopped. But could it be made safer? And what does the need for speed tell us about human nature? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Will Rowe. Today, the world's most dangerous race. My name is Phoebe Luckhurst. I am a senior commissioning editor at the Sunday Times magazine. Last year, you went to the Isle of Man. Why? I went to the Isle of Man to investigate a motorcycle race. The Isle of Man Tourist Trophy, or the TT race. It takes place in uh, late May, early June. But I went over a few months after the race had ended because, as I'm sure we'll get onto, it's quite a dangerous race and a number of people had died last year. So I wanted to get to the bottom of what the race is all about, why people do it, and get into the mindset of the riders and the people who love it. So there was this extremely dangerous race you were sent over to investigate. We'll come on to just how dangerous it is in a moment. Had you been to the Isle of Man before? I had not been to the Isle of Man before. <laughs> I'm embarrassed to say I didn't totally know exactly where it was. It is of the, the west coast of uh, Britain. It's kind of marooned in the middle of the Irish Sea. A population of 85,000 people, so fairly small. As I understand it, legally it sort of sits separately. Yeah, so it's something called a crown dependency, which means that it has its own laws, its own parliament, very relevantly to this race. It doesn't have a speed limit, for example. So you can ride at any any speed you want on the island's public roads, uh, which is why why the race takes place on the Isle of Man. It's definitely a bit of a mecca for petrol heads. Which leads us on to this race. Tell me about the Isle of Man TT. What is it? It's a very storied, historic uh, motorcycle race. Two weeks a year, every year, the organisers of the TT create this course. It's a 37.73 mile course from the island's public roads. So everything from residential streets to country lanes to kind of mountainous path exists in the north of the country. And motorcyclists and fans come from all over the world to compete in time trial laps. There are different vehicle classes and there's also a kind of sidecar series of races as well where you have one man driving and usually another man sitting in the the car beside. Like Wallace and Gromit? Yeah, very Wallace and Gromit. (laughs) (laughs) Except a lot faster, I think, than Wallace and Gromit travelling. What's the history of the race? So it actually started in 1905. It started as a, as a car race yeah. and then it became the, the motorcycle time trial race. And the then secretary of the Automobile Club of Great Britain yeah. wanted to find a place where riding very fast on public roads would be permitted. And he suspected that the Manx authorities would be OK with that. A race on English roads was impossible then because they couldn't be closed legally. And there was a 20 miles an hour speed limit. So the Manx government was approached and readily agreed to a race in the Isle of Man. 
And then since World War II, there have only been three years when it didn't take place. In 2001, it was foot and mouth. And then 2020 and 2021, it was cancelled because of COVID. So the 2022 event was the first one in a few years. It was a kind of grand return for the race. And six people lost their life in 2022. How often do you get fatalities in this race? Since the Second World War, the only year that the race has taken place and there hasn't been a fatality is 1982. That one um, year? One year, so, yes. So since 1945 onwards, every yeah. year that this has been raced, at least one person has died? Yes. And that's sometimes spectators are injured as well. So it is a dangerous pursuit, absolutely. There's no real way to square it. It's very dangerous. It seems an obvious question, but why is it so dangerous? The speeds involved are eye-watering. It's a very dangerous course. There are more than 200 bends, some of them kind of almost hairpin. Also because of the nature of the course, you know, you've got residential roads, you've got lampposts everywhere. There are all these sort of things that people can hit at high speed. They'll put padding in front of a wall, but hitting a wall at 140 miles per hour is still going to do some serious damage, even if there's padding in front of it. When you arrive, I guess one of the things in your mind was to meet riders, ask locals what they thought of the race and what they thought of its dangers. How do you go about doing that? Yeah, so I was in touch with the organisers of the TT to start with because I wanted to hear a bit about how the kind of logistics of the race work. So I met with them in their office. When it came to speaking to residents of the island, I basically just kind of went into pubs and chatted to people <laughs> um, who were all very, very kind of happy, happy to chat. And I think it's the sort of thing where absolutely everybody on the island has, has a take because it is a huge event for them. So let's take you back into those pubs that you went into. You met locals, you met residents. What did they say to you about it? The residents love the event and I, I understand why. Uh, the Isle of Man is, is a sleepy place and then for two weeks of the year it kind of becomes like a festival. Pubs build kind of beer gardens to spill into car parks. There's live music. I think for the only time of the year it kind of feels like a really happening place yeah. to be. It feels a bit like a student town. It's also, it contributes a large amount of money to the local economy as well. In 2019, the visitors to the TT brought £27.1 million to the Isle of Man. It's an important thing for their economy. I think it's, it's the lifeblood of the island. How is it regulated? You know, how are riders looked after with all this danger? So uh, the organisers do do a lot to try and make the race as safe as it's possible to make it. They have training. They have a world-class first response team. Last year, for the first time, they introduced this digital red flag system, which could halt the race almost in instantaneously in the event of, of an accident, a crash, etc. This year, they've they brought in a simulator for new riders. Anyone who hasn't done the course in right. person before has to do this simulator with an ex-rider. The thing is, there is only so much you can do. So these are all brilliant, you know, world-leading safety protocols. Yeah. But it's still a race on a very tough course at extremely high speeds. So I think you know, you hit a point at which you can't really make it any safer, whatever they might try and do. When you were there, did any of the residents say to you, you know, Phoebe, actually, it does sit a little bit uneasily with me, but at the same time, it brings in a lot of money. Did you get that sense at all? I chatted to, to one chap in the pub who, who did say something fairly similar to that. He said that it is dangerous and they need to make it safer, but they are. So yes, those deaths sat uneasily with him. He said the sidecar races, which some people think to be are especially dangerous, he found very difficult to watch. He'd seen a crash in a sidecar race several decades ago, I believe, and he had been unable to watch one since. He also spoke about how the race fortnight was essentially a kind of flower blooming in the desert. He, he loved 
that, that those two weeks and he couldn't pretend that he didn't. But sidecar, seen that crash, done, not watching that again. Couldn't do that again, which I understand. <laughs> So Phoebe, is anyone sort of bringing attention to this? Is there like a campaign to to stop it? So I have to say, I sort of expected there would be and didn't find anything to that effect. It's a curious thing about the TT where it's a very closed world and it's not an enormously mainstream event. If you know about it, you're probably either a resident of the Isle of Man, a rider or a fan. And those people are fairly keen on the event continuing. So it's a lot more difficult to find someone who's a really kind of powerful dissenting voice. I mean, I think, you know, newspapers like the Sunday Times published articles when the deaths happened last year. And so people are made aware of it. I've seen the odd thing on Twitter, but I think there isn't an enormous pressure group saying this should be banned. Why is this still taking place in 2023? You obviously went there trying to find out what is it that drives this race why do people come to see it and you've certainly given me a sense of it that's sort of festival atmosphere the petrol heads the fun all that you managed to speak to some riders what did they say to you about actually riding the race so for them it's kind of like the pinnacle of racing that's what they wish that we understood more. I, I think it was Peter Hickman, who's a very decorated solo rider, who said to me that, no offence, but journalists always focus on the negatives and neg- never on the positives. And for him, the positives are that it's it's really difficult. It requires an enormous amount of concentration and it's an exciting thing to compete in if this is your sport. Six racers sadly lost their life last year in 2022. Could you tell me a bit about Mark Perslow? Yeah, so Mark Perslow was a 29-year-old racer from Lannan in West Wales. He had competed in the TT in 2017 and then he returned again last year to compete. He'd been having a really, really good year as a racer, building up a bit of a, a bit of a profile. He also, his, his day job was as a fabricator, which is um, building the aluminium tanks on classic bikes. <laughs> so very, very specialised career, but I think kind of gives you a bit of a sense of how much he loved, loved motorbikes and kind of lived and breathed them, really. And what happened with Mark? At last year's TT, Mark was out riding uh, in, a, in a practice race on the 1st of June in the evening. And he very sadly crashed at a point called Balagari, And he later died of his injuries. And you spoke with his sister? I did speak with his sister. I was really grateful that she was able to find the time to chat to me. She said that nothing will ever bring Mark back. There is limited solace to be found for the family in the fact that he was doing what he wanted to do. He was, he was living his life and competing in the TT was a really important thing for him, something he he absolutely loved. She does take some comfort in the fact that the island was always a special place for him. And so I think it will always be a special place for that family too. And this crash also had an effect on other riders. Can you just talk me through that? There was one rider, Dave Hewson, who had, had passed the crash scene where Mark had crashed. And I know that he was very badly affected by it, just seeing seeing what had happened and it being kind of really brought home to him, I suppose. So Dave comes around the corner. He's obviously a few minutes behind Mark. He sees that there's been a crash. He sort of notices it. Dave, has he continued to race? So Dave went back to his hotel room that evening and posted a very moving video saying that he planned to kind of go on with racing. He, he felt it was sort of his duty to do so. So yes, he has continued to race. It's this bizarre situation because... You're riding, you're 
favourite road. And uh, I came around the corner at Brandywell, and I can just see all the way out to the sea, down the valleys, over to Douglas, and it's the the most perfect view on a summer's evening. And you have a little moment to yourself, riding along in the best place in the world, but knowing what's just happened up the road. One of my favourite lines I've ever heard. And it was Steve McQueen. And he said, The races I know aren't courting death. They're courting life. And he's right. Tomorrow, we'll go and do it again. And we'll hope for the highs without the lows. Coming up. So what do you do after a near-fatal crash? I chat with Richard Milky Quayle 20 years after his accident on the course. That's in just a moment. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. My name is Richard Milky Quayle. I'm an ex-TT rider, TT winner, and now I'm a rider liaison officer for the Alaman TT races. And Richard, why the nickname Milky? In my younger years, I was literally, uh, I had really blonde hair, wore glasses. I looked like a replica of the Milky Bar kid. So I embraced that really and used that as a marketing tool for me. I'd hand out Milky Bars at the, the racetrack when the kids came to get an autograph and a, and a photograph. You've got to look after your fans. Your fans are the, you know, the people that support you and but if you were handing out milky bars to the, these these adoring fans, how good were you as a racer? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'd like to think that I was pretty handy. There's only in the 115 years the Alaman TT's been going, there's only ever been three Manxmen that have ever won it, and I'm very fortunate enough to be one of them. Let's go back to 2003. You've talked through the accident. You're lack of memory actually which i find fascinating how were you physically after the accident and then what decision did you make i'd already made the, the, the pivotal decision to retire as regards to injuries i i smashed my left shoulder 
I broke all my ribs in my left hand side of my rib cage. I punctured my lung, my spleen, my kidney. I lost my spleen. They managed to save me kidney and my lung and that all started working back working again. I broke my right ankle and a couple of fingers and stuff. Within two months, I was back and I was digging foundations for my conservatory at home. I, I decided to put a conservatory on my house. And yeah, so I, as regards to physical injuries, I was, I was fine. It was more the mental thing, but that was good because I'd already made the conscious effort of retiring. And what, and what do you do now, Milky? What's your role in the um, Isle of Man TT these days? I'm involved in organising the help and out with the TT. My major role in the, with the TT nowadays is teaching all the newcomers to learn the circuit, trying to keep them as safe and as possible on the circuit and try and help them get the information into their head. I want the job to be a success. I want it to work, so I'll do anything. I'll, you know, If it comes down to cleaning toilets or doing anything, I'll, I'll, I'll do anything just to make the event a success because it is, it is such an amazing event. In, in today's sanitised world, the TT is probably one of the last bits of freedom that the human race has. <laughs> I know it sounds crazy, but you know, a man can actually push himself to its limits. And, and lots of people appreciate that. And, and that's why they want to come and see it and be involved in it and smell it and see it and feel it. And yeah, it's it's just, it's fantastic. You, you must get over to have a hog. It's amazing. Let, let's get into a bit about the danger now, because you've made a very compelling argument, but I'm, I'll put the counter to you. In terms of the death rate for this race, it is quite stark as an outsider looking at it. Last year, six deaths. In 2014, five deaths. 2011, six deaths. In 2005, nine people died. That's the most in the history of the race. I mean, Milky, how how can you defend those numbers? The TT is dangerous, and we all know it's dangerous. Motorbikes are inherently dangerous. If you try to invent a motorbike, if you said to somebody now, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create a machine that does over 200 miles an hour that's... 200 brake horsepower, over 200 brake horsepower that doesn't even stand up on its own, and you know it, it won't. It just falls on its on on, on the floor. You, they, they wouldn't. They wouldn't allow it. They would ban it straight away. They would say no. It's not. It's not allowed. Health and safety brigade would be straight on it. And yes, it's like I say yes. It's dangerous, but ultimately, um, but, but when it comes down to the TT, there's more race and mile. We have over like we have over like 250 competitors that are riding around the circuit all trying to get a good result and push the, 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 the boundaries for their riding and stuff. And the miles that they, we do over the fortnight is something ridiculous, like over 200,000 miles, I think it is. In, in any form of close contact sport as regards to motorcycling, you're always going to have incidents and, and crashes. And unfortunately, some, you know, accidents do happen and there's nobody holding a gun to our heads. When we sit off on the start line, no one's saying you must get on that bike we all understand the risks and yeah it's a true reflection of of life i always think you know life's not easy life's hard you know sometimes you have good times sometimes you have bad times honestly we we literally work on the safety that's our, our main priority and every year we're always trying to implement new safety measures as regards to the infrastructure around the circuit we have two medical helicopters so when the, an incident does happen it's deployed within two minutes of, of an incident happen depending on how hard it is and it can be to any injured rider within literally five minutes how come then the death rate hasn't really tapered off? It seems to be level. Is it, is it the bikes have got quicker? Are people taking more risks? What is it that's sort of balancing out those efforts to make it safer with people still dying? Technology advances and motorbikes are the same. You know, MotoGP technology advances and the technology gets passed down to the road bikes and you know, the bikes are phenomenal bits of kit now. You know, accidents can happen. So you can never, you'll never, ever, never, ever make it completely safe. No yeah. motorsport is completely safe. It never is. Life's not completely safe. 
We're only a bag of bones, aren't we? And we're not made of steel and stuff. So, A cynic might say, look, the two weeks of the year while when the TT comes to town, economy is booming. And so basically, you know, the Isle of Man government are quite happy for that and they disregard the sort of the, the side effects of the loss of life. What do you say to that argument? Yeah, it's, it's, it's whichever way you want to look at it. I mean, ultimately, again, this is the oldest motorcycle race in the world. 1907 it started. The easy option would be to say, you know what, let's just draw a line under it. Let's go into the back and be woke like everybody else wants to be in the world. Whereas, actually, I always think the government are very forward-thinking and thinking, well, actually, let, let's. it's something that everybody enjoys when, when it's here. And, and as a racer, I mean, what you do is hugely impressive. I can't quite get my head around it. Do you think, have you ever thought about that maybe part of part of the thrill for you is that you might die. You know, you push yourself right yeah, to those limits. Uh, no, I, I, I don't like being scared. I literally don't like being scared. You know, it, for me, it, it's not the feeling, thinking of, well, I could die and I could... Sod that, sod that. The last thing I want to do is die, you know? So but it's ultimately, the reason why I'm doing it is for the pleasure, the pleasure of, of, pushing, me, of pushing yourself to your limits. I mean... Everyone's wired different, aren't they? You know, and uh, you know, some people uh, want to push themselves to the limits, and some people don't. And for me, I've always been competitive. I always like to push myself and better myself. I want to be keep. I want to keep climbing up that ladder. I don't want to just sit there and think, "Oh, this is all right." You know, I want to try and. If I won a million quid, I'd be thinking, "Well, I've got a million quid. I want to have two million quid." If you want to win a race, you win one race. You want to win two. You want to win three. You want to win four. That's the way I'm wired. <laughs> So you went, you met people, you chatted, you've spoken with riders, you've spoken with bereaved family members, you've come back. Do you think it should still continue? Not a straightforward question to answer. I couldn't stop thinking about the families of people whose relatives race. I couldn't imagine personally putting my family through something like that. I do think there's probably something a little bit selfish about it, but I... I think it's complicated to answer the question as to whether it should be banned because a lot of the people who take part think that they should be allowed to do it. A lot of the families say that they don't have a problem with it. So basically, I found myself feeling very uncertain. I can say I don't think I would ever be a fan of the sport and I'd be very upset if someone I loved wanted to take part because I'd just be really worried. But I don't come down on either side as to whether I think it should be banned. What do you think all that says about human nature? It's a tricky one, isn't it? Some of the riders put it to me. The decision to ride is a personal choice. They're doing so because they wish to do so and the fans are doing so because they enjoy watching it. So I think there's a slightly similar to the way that the Isle of Man has a kind of slightly libertarian slanting philosophy where people can make their own choices to do things. That's the philosophy of the TT. I think it also says that people really enjoy watching people do dangerous things. That's definitely an element of it. And also all sport is kind of drama and thrill and to some extent, depending on the sport, risk as well. And I think this is just a very extreme version of that. Do you see a stage where it will ever be banned? I think I think this year will be an important one because the organisers have definitely put a lot of extra safety measures in place. If this is another year where there are many casualties and fatalities, people will have to look at the race again. I think if there were perhaps a lobby of bereaved families calling for it to be banned, that would maybe slightly change the 
change the terms a little bit. But I think it's it's difficult to say. I mean, it's continued for all of this time and has had so many fatalities up until this point. If it hasn't been bad now, maybe it won't ever be. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to the subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me, Will Rowe, and my guests, Phoebe Luckhurst, Senior Commissioning Editor at The Sunday Times magazine and former Isle of Man TT champion, Richard Milky Quayle. You can find all of Phoebe's work at thetimes.co.uk and we've put a link to her long read on the Isle of Man TT in the description notes of this podcast. It's a great article with amazing extra details, well worth your time. The producer on today's podcast was Oliver Adamson, the executive producer is Kate Ford and sound design was by David Crackles. Thanks for listening and see you again soon. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. (laughs) Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like... You know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.